Hello and welcome back to Chat by the Pitch. This is Ian Babcock, your host. This week I have DKSC, Juan Martinez. He is the president of the club. Now, if you know who he is, you already know quite a bit about the club. This club, I would probably say, is in development-wise, probably in the top three, and size of club, probably in the top five. This is my own personal opinion. It deals nothing with facts or stats. It's just how they develop players and what I have seen in the three years of following the club. We get into club's history, development, and a few other topics. So let's start this chat and head to the pitch. My name is Juan Martinez, and I'm currently the president, executive director of Defeater Kick Soccer Club, DKSC. Um, just about our club, um, you know, we merged uh, kicks and defeaters back into in 2018 uh, for various reasons, uh, but mainly it was the platform. We wanted our elite, plat our elite players to have a platform where they could continue developing. Um, kicks was a soccer club that I started in my backyard, literally with seven little girls in 2005. Um, I named the team Kicks after the team I played for, uh, Dallas Kicks 73 here in Dallas. Um, so the reason I got into coaching um, in 2005 was to provide an environment for my daughter and my niece where they could develop on the field, uh, but also off the field, the life lessons, the character building, and simply growing up in North Texas, I didn't trust many coaches with my daughter. Um, the the treating, um, you know, I'm hard on my players, but there's there's a way, you know, you got to get the best out of them. And I've always said, nobody cares. It's that quote, nobody cares how much you know until you care, until they know how much you care. So once they know that you care about them, believe in them, they'll run through a brick wall. So you could be a little tougher when uh, they're not, uh, you know, they need discipline, they're goofing off, uh, they're not putting in work, but it's a process. Uh, so starting with seven little girls in my backyard, I had no um, goal, no resources, no plan to really start a club. In fact, when I started coaching in 2005, prior to that, my wife was the coach of the family. Um, soccer, you know, saved my life from the streets. And uh, my wife began coaching my nieces. Uh, my wife and I married in 99. And my first niece started playing soccer. She's in 95. So my wife was the coach of the family. Um, I still have some pictures of her pregnant with my oldest daughter that was born in 2001, coaching on the sideline. And she was like, well, you could help me. And I was like, there's no way I'll ever coach. And I repeated that over and over to several friends that were coaching in North Texas. They're like, hey, you played, come out, our club is growing. And this was back, you know, when Texans South started. Um, but I always told them, I was like, I don't see myself as a coach. I don't know how you could put up with parents because you don't give them the playing time uh, or you don't play them in the position they want and you get an earful. I don't have time for that. And I was like, there's no way I would coach. So then my brother-in-law that played baseball uh, began coaching my other niece. That was a 98, 99. 
So I had three nieces. I was at the fields at rec, but I'll take my chair. I'll take a cooler and I'll just watch them play. Uh, my brother-in-law, his, his best term for coaching was blasted. Every time the ball came to a player, you hear him blasted, blasted, blasted. Uh, my mother-in-law's favorite word was booted, 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 blasted. And, you know, I knew they didn't know soccer, you know, but I wasn't going to get involved because it was like their wreck. And so in 2005, July of 2005 is when uh, I accepted the Lord into my life. And a month later, I made soccer my ministry. And so I started coaching seven little girls and knowing that I couldn't put all of my eggs in those seven girls to make uh, elite teams because I'm very super competitive. And so I basically told the parents at the first practice, um, you know, the reason I'm doing this is to provide an environment for my kid, but teach them, you know, resilience and teamwork and uh, how to bounce back from failure. I felt all those life lessons shaped me into the person I was uh, playing select soccer. So I always added girls. We started seven. By the time we went select, um, we had 60 girls. So we had four teams and no other age group. Uh, the focus was just on that age group. Uh, did it for free for eight years. So didn't charge a penny. Um, you know, I had my yard watered, aerated, just to have a great pitch in the back. Um, and then later, four years later, I was blessed with uh, twins, a boy and a girl. So then I started their teams the same way in my backyard. And that's how kicks grew, um, just really grassroots um, without really a structure, just providing great development, the way the kids played, it attracted players. Everybody's like, we wore the Brazil uniforms. Uh, I fell in love with Brazil, their style of play. The first World Cup that I actually remembered watching as a 13-year-old boy was the 86 uh, World Cup with Maradona. But just seeing that yellow on TV and being a fan of Pelé, just watching VHS tapes, uh, I had Pelé poster on my wall, and I just loved the, the the Brazil playing style. So, you know, when we first started, it was like, okay, these girls have to be comfortable on the ball, the decision-making, the flair, the jinga, all this, and I allowed all that. So we did a lot of pickup games, futsal, and they fell in love with the game. So that was the biggest recruiting uh, factor is just the style of play. Um, so by the time we fast forward to do 2018, Kicks had made a name um, on the national stage. Um, you know, that old one team that we started uh, with seven little girls. And as his years went up, went by at U13, we were the best team in North Texas. Uh, there was no DA. There was no ECNL. There was no platform except Classic League, your, your highest uh, uh, league where you had to qualify. And in that league at U13, we won grand champions with like five, six games left in the season. This is when only 10 teams uh, competed. So we played against Solar, against FC Dallas, against Sting, against Texans. And with five, six games, we, we won the league. Uh, we won State Cup. 
uh, we won regionals, went all the way to nationals. And now we're competing against the Surf, the Hawks, and here comes this little team with the Brazil uniforms. And, um, you know, so that was just how we developed. And again, eight years, um, a lot of inner city kids because we didn't worry about, you know, the, the, the business side of paying for fields. We, I grew my backyard. We found empty fields, wherever, whatever pitch condition, uh, if it was bouncing, great. It helped us with our first touch. Um, so when we merged with uh, Defeaters, Defeaters was a club since 1978, all girls club. Um, they were in ECNL at that year, uh, DA, the Federation created uh, Developmental Academy and on the girls side. And I knew that's when I had to make a change because we had about close to 400 kids, very talented kids. And we kind of was like, like, okay, we're not going to be able to play in those leagues in BA and ECDL. I felt we could compete against one league because there's only 11 players that start. And we had a culture and our teams, our younger teams were winning surf cups, super copas. And these were very talented teams learning how to play. So we would be able to compete against any team in the nation. So I felt like one league we're able to, we were able to do national league and surf cups and get players exposure, but two leagues, um, it was going to be hard. So it's kind of like, I always tell parents kind of like when Walmart came in, Sam, I priced the little store. Um, maybe the little mom and pop's shoe store doesn't get Nike shoes anymore. Cause Nike's selling the Dick's Academy. Um, so they go out of business. So I needed a change. And that's when we merged in, uh, 2018 with DKC and became Defeater Kickstart Club. Awesome. That That is quite the history. I mean, my kid, I only really started following soccer until about, um, my son was about six, so he's nine. So about three years, 2020 was when I really started to follow soccer more in the area. I didn't grow up with soccer. Um, soccer was a uh, not a sport in my high school, even though... Yeah. And having a child that became obsessed with it, this is where the stories of the clubs are so important because I feel like families just see the big names, the the Solars, the the Stings, FC Dallas. You guys now, you guys are one of the, I would put you guys in the top five clubs, if not the top two or three clubs in the, in the Metroplex for um, producing talent and if, producing talent's a different story, but size-wise in the top five in my book um, and what you guys have done in the short three years that I've been following you. It's just astronomical what you guys have done and hearing the history. Now it makes more sense how you've been able to accomplish that. I like to start off with the pathway programs. So one of the first interviews I did was Daniel Dobson. You guys have a phenomenal college program. And he, he told me that you guys have, um, I'm trying to think of the name of the head coach now from what soccer, what, what college working with you guys, or maybe it's not anymore. I don't know the details. I try to <laughs> be surprised when I'm talking to you guys um, somewhat, but you guys have a phenomenal college pathway program. You guys have coaches that are designated for that. So can you give me a little bit more detail on that side of the program? Cause I know that's where bad top and bad top you came from. Um, well, my still- understanding. <laughs> Yeah, just to give you kind of uh, history on 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 
have I operated kicks and then now leading DKC, it's I have a number one rule that I tell all the players and parents. Um, I actually have three, but my number one, it's always count on change. You know, whether whatever business, whatever you do, it's change is going to happen. So I constantly told my players always count on change. Parents always count on change. Because one of the reasons I didn't want to get into coaching is making those tough decisions of moving a player down, demoting them, or moving them positions. And I would tell the parents, you know, count on it, you know, embrace it. It's going to happen. Um, so with our programs, you know, the market's always changing, the sport's growing. I feel like I'm always trying to be innovative. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, finding your why, why? Why do we do this? Uh, for me, it wasn't for the money. You know, for me, it was soccer saved my life and it became my ministry. And so when you talk, start talking about Bat Top, Bat Top U, Bat Top actually started with kicks. Because when I first started uh, in my backyard, I told my wife, because I'm super competitive, I told my wife, I want to do something that nobody's ever done before. And that was put independent teams on the map, competing against the biggest clubs. So... I also told her just like the Brazil uh, style of play. I said, I want to build a different type of player, you know, and that's where bad top vision came from kicks. So bad top stands for building a different type of player. So we basically say that's our vision at DKC. We got to do different kind of things. So we're always, um, you know, with Daniel Dobson uh, college majority of, of players, I would say four years ago, that was their number one goal, get a D1 scholarship. Um, the old ones that I coached, they all got full rights, majority of them to power five schools and, you know, you know, paint their education. So that was the number one goal. Now you have a lot of players that are signing at 15 years old, 16 years old. The female game has grown. So we started like, okay, there's college advisory program, Daniel Dobson. It's our bad top uh, cap director. Um, so we have bad top you. We brought in Paul Jobson to oversee of what a college program um, looked like, you know, with the beat test, the testing, um, their communication, their film. So we, it was a one-year project so we could learn as much about that as possible. Uh, but we have a weight room. I mean, we're the only club I feel that has their own weight room. And if you see this weight room, it's very, very, very nice, you know? And so we feel injury prevention, hitting the weights properly. Some people go into the weight room and actually do more damage to their bodies because they don't have the proper technique. So we invest in all these because from experience, you know, the old ones that I coached, I was old school, no pain, no gain, no run <laughs> uphills, push buses, sand. It was like nonstop. By the time they got to high school, they were tearing their ACLs left and right. So I brought in Edgar Perete, a strength and conditioning coach, and he taught me the science, proper recovery and proper warm up and cool down. And so we instilled that. Now we have two uh strength and strength and conditioning coaches that only uh work with our club 
they're professionals, so they have their own two, they both have their own businesses, but they all, they're exclusive to DKSC, so they travel with us to all home and away games. They warm up the players uh, in between games for proper warm-up. Uh, they travel to all our ECNL events. They travel to our playoffs. Um, you know, everybody looks and says, okay, they travel deep, but it's because we truly, truly care about our players' development, and we want them on the field. They don't do us any good if they're on the sideline injured because they didn't warm up properly. What I noticed running the club and not coaching is when the coach would tell a player, hey, go warm up. That player's not warming up. That player's maybe running a couple of times and then looking at the field or talking. They're not ready. They haven't broken that sweat. So uh, my daughter tore ACL in junior year. So I experienced that, you know, what she went through. And I kind of looked at and said, if we're able to minimize uh, injury, then that's good for the players and it's good for us. So the good thing about DKC just being innovative, I'm always talking to the coaches. I'm always talking to parents, what could we do uh, more to serve our players? Um, but, you know, this is the first time I met you, and you said something that you saw our website, and you said the most, um, uh, what do you say, uh, organized and more, that we do more for our players than any club. I can tell you, uh, in the market, scare tactics, fear mongling, it's like you hear the opposite. You hear uh, this club is so disorganized. Constantly you hear that. Um, you hear this club doesn't do anything for your players. It's constantly because, you know, people look at it as like if you get on this team or national team or you get your name on, on top drawer or all these newsletters, most of the, those are driven by parents. Parents submit rankings parents pay their memberships and it becomes, you know, to the consumer, it becomes, I don't care about bad top you or bad top cap or a weight room or sell a style academy training. Uh, said nobody does academy two extra sessions with their, uh, uh, their, their top players for free, you know, indoor space or outdoor space time. Nobody does that. But for us, we never forget our why. You know, why are we doing this? And uh, the proof is in the pudding. Um, you know, our club has grown, like you mentioned, uh, being one of the top five in uh, level um, or size. For us, I feel we we grow too fast. You know, I feel like for me, it's always about quality over quantity. I'm fine staying with 500 kids or 1,000 or 1,500. You know, we're probably about 1700 right now this year we went through a lot of changes and because of the market and the competition so it's kind of like that term with farming slash and burn you know you <laughs> you kind of like hey you're not producing as much because you're not focused on the culture sometimes you have to do that and so i just you know excited i'm back coaching now so i'm even more excited because I'm on the grounds that on the ground and seeing it and talking to the coaches. And so I'm excited to continue building with the platforms that we currently have and the resources that we have. It's amazing how 
the why. Um, and I, I think it goes for any size club. I've mostly done a lot of small clubs doing this so far. And that's what they talk about. It's not about, it's growing at an organic rate and not growing too big and not having a coach that you hire and he brings over three, four teams. And it's not so much about that. I've listened to you on a couple of other podcasts or interviews you've done over the years. I, the most recently was the Red Cards podcast. And you talked about... Um, the importance of keeping your culture and like you are more worried about your culture than keeping someone. And, and everyone that you said that left that has been on all the social media, it was for a chance for growth. It wasn't because it was a lateral move, which is mm -hmm. very hard to imagine because most people just leave because it's the next dollar coming in. It's no, they were moving because they had advancement. And I've been talking to several coaches and I've learned that a lot of clubs this past season have gone through and did exactly what you're talking about. It's getting rid of coaches that aren't quote producing. And my definition of producing are, are they producing talent or are they producing wins? And I feel like in the conversations you've had, and I've heard over the several interviews you've done and things I've read or uh, comments I've heard from other people is that you guys truly do focus. I mean, why would you guys create bad, bad top and have bad top you? I mean, that's just a huge um, undertaking to take on, not, not, not just as a club, but mm -hmm. for your families. I mean, I don't know how much that costs extra and that's not what this is about, but this is about educating families. And like you said, and we talked earlier, the biggest problem in North Texas is the last lack of education. I think um, someone made a really good comment to me and I can't remember who we're and in the business world. It's called being siloed. We are so focused on, how in our, in our soccer communities is how we are here now and coaches are so scared of losing players and losing um, families and possibly losing their job when they're coaching and if we as parents and this is where the education comes in trust the coach I mean and take the chance give them a full year maybe two years if it if need be as long as the environment is healthy for our individual players and if we're able to go beyond that and just see what they have. And if a coach says, Hey, I'm not the coach for your kid, go check out coach X, Y, and Z at such and such club. They have a better philosophy that might meet your demand, your need for your player. And I feel like a lot of coaches and clubs are so scared to do that to lose players versus if they're just honest and open. Oh, honest with the parents and players and this was a conversation i had with several coaches that 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 was the conversation like how do we create an environment where we're fostering the game and not our, and not so much paying an astronomical amount of money so kids can still play um this, this beautiful game and i feel like you said like you don't want to grow too big and that's that's not something you hear too often yeah <laughs> in the soccer you know, community you know, I've experienced from an independent team focusing on player development at an early age. And I've only coached my daughter, my two daughters team and my son's team prior to uh, now coming back to coach. And now I look at coaching again, I feel like it's like remodeling a house. It's much easier building a house from scratch. And what I realize as I'm seeing players and teams 
and getting more involved, I realized at the end of the day, especially in this market, I cannot talk about other markets in Arkansas or Arizona, but here in North Texas, in this market, truly, I would say 95% of the parents truly only care about results. That's it. They don't care about development. I had a coach ask me, do you think, because I speak about development often, that's my DNA. Um, it's who I am. I want players uh, to be known as soccer players, not just athletes that happen to play soccer. Um, I want them to be, to understand the game. And I know that teaching them that the results are going to be there because they're soccer players. And so one of the things that the coach asked me, do you really think in, in North Texas, parents care about development? My answer to him, absolutely not. He's like, I'm glad you said that because he actually thought maybe I wasn't in tune. I said, he said, so why do you preach development so much? I said, that's who I am. That's my DNA. I can't change who I am. I'm not for everybody. So for that 95%, that's just chasing a win. I'm not for you at U8, U9, U10. I said, because I'm going to teach you a game and playing out the back and making decisions and giving you the freedom to express yourself on one, what type of player you're going to be, you know, might not be for that. He goes, but if you trust the process, which we always talk about, and that was me always telling my old ones and old fives, parents, you got to trust the process. Other coaches started using that and then it became the club, trust the process, trust the process. We've had so many parents where they don't have a good game or their kid gets mood positions or doesn't get us. And they'll say, screw your process. They'll say that to a parent, to a coach. And it becomes parents only care about results. So that's where I mean is like, if, if we're at 500 and they trust the process, they're going to be soccer players. They're going to get invited to national teams, to college D1, to pros. I have uh, a lot of resources now that those coaches are contacting me because they know, okay, well, it's not going to send somebody if they're not a true soccer player with the character, with the work ethic, because I'll tell a parent, I said, me, I won't stick my neck out for just anybody. He goes, so if you come and you trust the process, you're going to hear all the things that you don't want to hear. I've told players, uh, Jada Thomas at University of Tennessee, I told her no coach in their right mind will ever want to coach you because of your attitude. She had the worst attitude um, up until about U13, U14. She became a leader and great leader. Great. She has a great attitude. We had a shape and motor and I had to tell her that and I had to venture and have discipline. Kudos to her parents because every club was recruiting her. So they could have easily said this coach doesn't like her or we don't like that he's trying to uh, be hard on her. Funny story is that her grandma will come to the games. And I really didn't talk to her grandma much because she lived in San Antonio. So when Jada changed and committed and, you know, I still have a real, you know, father-daughter relationship because I coached most of those kids from five years old till they graduated. The grandma told the mom, I never liked him. I thought he was so hard on him. Like, 
He goes, mom, he was a disciplinarian. And those players outside of soccer, you know, they would come spend the night with my daughter. And they would spend a lot of time, go to Fright Fest. Outside of practice, they always would goof off with me. Coach Iwani, Papi Wani, they were just, it was that father figure. But when they came to practice, when they came to games, when they came, they're like, you scare us. I say, yeah, there's a time and place for everything. And so I think that that now play, parents um, with with all the real, I guess, social media, they're chasing just results, 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 and they're doing their kids a disservice. Disservice. It's like it's like trying to, you know, everybody develops at different rates. So if you're just chasing the results, I've seen so many parents that will rather play on a winning team and come off the bench and play 10 minutes then play on a team that maybe is in the middle of the pack and play the entire game. And I don't get it, but I know their social media is we're so-and-so we're so-and-so and I just don't get it. I think social media has not helped um, develop our soccer community. Like you said, it's, it's not about the development. It's about, what can I put on social media to be flashy? Texas, I think, is a different breed just because it is football country or turning into soccer country now. But that mentality of winning at all costs, we have to be on a winning team. We have to be. And when I've talked to coaches in other parts of the country, it's not as bad as here, and especially in North Texas versus South Texas. Even it's it the DFW Metroplex is its own um, best way of put it, soccer mafia culture. And it, it's a real shame because if we really want our kids to grow, and this is the the thing that my wife and I talk about heavily with our, our two kids. And I have a nine-year-old and a five-year-old and my five-year-old is now just wanting to play soccer. It's, she wants to go to practice. If she, if it wasn't for her coach, she never would have went in the past. And now it's, oh, do I have soccer practice or do I have gymnastics tonight? It's, it has changed the dialogue. And I think some, like you said, it just pops at different rates. The example I was always given was kids are like popcorn. You never know when they're doing a pop yeah. in the heat and some kids pop early and then fizzle at the end. Some kids pop late and are very successful. And I think you talk, when you were talking about the development, I think that's what's missing in our society here to become more developed is it goes back to the whole social media side of it. And and like you said, parents would tell you, forget the trust, the process. And that yeah. just kills me because when we go look for a team, we look for a team where my son's in the middle of the pack. He's not the top player. He has mm-hmm. to work because in order for him to develop, we realize he needs someone ahead of him to develop. If he is the strongest player on the team, he kind of kicks back and enjoys it and takes it for granted. And he's nine and he sees this. Mm-hmm. And we saw it as a parent. So like when we were looking for new teams, it's always what is the growth opportunity and what is the opportunity now with that being said and your with your club's philosophy a little bit how do you guys um how many coaches i'm gonna rephrase this how many teams per coach do you guys have then because that plays into your philosophy because you guys have too many teams per coach it's really hard to instill philosophy i think it's too hard to instill philosophy into all those players the coaches seen what's your guys' view on that I think, I don't think there's a, from academy, 4v4, 7v7, I think in academy coaches, 
end up having more teams because they might combine um, their their A team and their B team and C teams for numbers to prepare from 4v4 to 7v7 to 9v9, 11v11. From select, I don't think there's a coach that has more than three three teams. I I don't like I don't think so. I think it's you know and and if, if a coach does have the three teams or or more, they're usually coaches that I'm not hearing any complaining about. Um for me, when I started coaching in my backyard, there was a time where I think I coached seven or eight teams all for free. And 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 the reason, because you talked about that popcorn development, when I started in in in, in the backyard with seven, seven with seven girls, my daughter, she was not the fastest, not the biggest, and I knew she was gonna struggle. And so when I picked up more girls, she was on the first team. And that first team had some athletes, and I always looked to challenge them. So I moved them up from rec. U6 to U8 when they should have still been in rec one year. We played academy. We played boys indoor. So I could see my daughter uh, struggling. So when I had three teams, I moved her to the third team. My wife almost divorced me because of that. She was, <laughs> she's like, what are you doing? I said, what are you talking about? I said, my Jordan needs to fall in love with the sport. She needs to have some success. So I moved her and I still remember that the parents from the first team were like, if his daughter doesn't develop, he's going to drop us. He's going, he's going to drop us. So a year that she stayed on the third team, she developed, she developed her confidence, her enjoyment of the game, her decision-making that while I moved her to the first team, it was kind of like, Oh, she did get better because she knew understanding space and uh, deception and then when they signed select contracts the first year, I had all these players joining and I moved into the first team. But I told my daughter, you're going to be playing on the second team at U12 because I need you to be on the field. The first team is going to be in playing Division One super competitive games. I need you to be on the field to learn because at U13, I'm going to combine both teams. And that's when we're going to make our national uh, run. So at that time, I remember uh, coaching multiple teams, but combining the sessions, having a lot of uh, hands. You know, I I always solicited coaches. I was like, y'all sideline coaches. I hear you coach on the sideline. Come on, get in the game. And I realized that because it was my ministry, a lot of the things that I was hearing in church, as far as getting the game, we need a, a door greeter. We need a usher. We need somebody to pick up the tide. We need somebody to the media. We need that. It's, it's so much involved. So I will get coaches, parents that played the game involved in helping me and saying, look, I'm going to run the session, but I need you to do this. And at the younger age group, I remember I had where I told the parents, if, if you're coming to my sessions and you're looking for some magic when your kid's six, seven years old, no, my job is to not kill the fun. My job is, is fun over learning, over winning. I, men I mentioned learning and winning because those two things are super important, but not over fun at the 
at the early age groups. So when from U4 to U10, all our all our sessions were built around games that would teach them learning the game. Uh, but it was ball mastery and it was a lot of, you know, green, red light, a lot of tag, a lot of just fun, fun game. And sometimes get wet. Parents would be like, you know, I need need somebody to really get on to my kid. Like, that's like, the kid needs to you know, mature a little bit more. Right now, they're just, and so we switched it from learning at U11 to fun to winning. And then as they got older, I told them, it's all about winning now. Okay. Learning is still super important and having fun is important, but competing is fun. When these kids now are chasing national championships and competing at that level, the thrill of them winning one zero in a national game or, or winning state cup or getting invited to a national camp. It's it's fun is now more running in sand or hills up hills because that's burn, you know? So that's one of the things that I look at. I think coaches could do it if they had the resources to help, but they, they were in it for the right reasons right now. I think most coaches are taking more teams. Let's call it is it's a business, you know, it's a business. If I coach three teams, four teams, that means more I could bring home. So you mentioned about losing player. Coaches literally see players as dollar signs. So it becomes a numbers game. I got to sign 18. I got to sign this. I, and I don't want to lose this. So I know playing out the back. No, I got to just win because at the end, if we win and we look like we didn't have no idea of how soccer should be played, the parents would be happy. I can't count how many times we played a game um, that we totally dominated and we might have lost by a goal because of a free kick. Great upper 90, free kick. We missed XYZ uh, opportunities and the parents on the other team felt like, you know, they were super happy where I'm like telling the kids, man, the way y'all play, you know, I take that because y'all play great. Soccer is that way. It's a cruel sport. Look at Argentina, you know, yes. opening game, you know, but in here in North Texas, that causes you the team to blow up. But I think coaches are coaching too many teams because of the business. So at our club, we try not to do that. So with that being said, how do you guys keep your philosophy through the teams then? Because if you have 1500 kids, let's say half of them are playing nine V nine, it cuts down the number, but the other half, the other 700, if they're playing less nine V nine or less, you're talking quite a few teams. How do you coaches? I mean, I'm assuming you guys probably have a good 50, 60 coaches. I'm doing my math right now. Probably a good 45 coaches. Yeah, um, we have close to 70, 70 coaches. Okay. So I'm way off on my math here. 70 coaches. How do you gather them and corral them in to instill the philosophy that you've built through the years? Because um, what you talked about the fun and learning and keeping it fun at the younger age groups and not, maybe not so much with the ball from the sounds of it. It's more of may not even be with the ball. Um, it's a very European style of coaching. And with that being said, how do you instill the philosophy of the club? I mean, from the sounds of it, yes, you're on the pitch, you're here to play the younger ages. It's here about fun and falling in love with the game. 
but how do you continue that philosophy? Do you guys have quarterly meetings? Do you guys have monthly meetings? Do you guys have um, social hours together? Uh, how do you build the philosophy and the bonding? Because I feel like if you, without any of that, the clubs tend to dissolve yeah. very quickly. No, it's definitely, it's definitely the growing pains when you grow too fast. And so in 2018, when we merged with Defeaters Kicks, um, Kicks had about close to 400 kids and Defeaters about 100 and something because it was all just girls, Defeaters. So we had about 500 kids when we merged. Um, back then when I merged, the first thing I told Hugh Bradford, that was our director of coaching, is I don't want to run a club. I said, I just want to coach my two ECNL teams, my daughter's teams, and I want to work with the academy because academy is the future of the bloodline. Um, and for two years, I didn't run the club. Um, felt that we started growing because we started having some more success, brought some coaches, and we grew from 2018 to last year. We had to about 2,000 kids, like just under 2,000. And I feel through there, I did feel that we lost our culture. I felt that it's like if if you go to a mom and pop restaurant, one restaurant, you go there because the way they treat you, the way they welcome you, the you know, they know you and the food's great. And then they open up another one, another one, and it's becomes, you know, and so now what I'm doing is going back to what we really say it's is being intentional with our, our culture. Um, I meet with academy coaches, talk to them regularly, because to me, I feel that, you know, in this environment, North Texas, where we mentioned, if you don't win, your team blows up. You know, so coaches are under a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. One of the things I tell the coaches all the time, I'm, I'm measuring you on retention. If you provide a good environment and you develop, you're probably not going to win everything. But if you retain, you'll add a player, two or three. You'll get better. You'll add a – instead of blowing up entire teams every year just because platforms. I think platforms now, um, back then, you know, if you were good, you made Division One. If you are good enough, you stayed there. If you got relegated, well, your team might have blown up. Now there's no relegation. So you have ECNL. ECNL Regional League, ECNL Regional League North Texas, you have GA, you have MPL, you have FDL, you have girls class. I mean, you have so many leagues. So now it's really at the end, can you sustain, can you have uh, that many teams in those leagues with the right culture? And so one of the things now that I'm doing with DKC is, is 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 focusing more i feel like tribes you know there's ecnl rl north texas fdl academy academy boys girls focusing on my that and also i saw where where elon musk uh talked about meetings it's a waste of time you know and i feel that yes we we do need meetings we're we're actually planning our first uh, DKSC symposium where we're able to bring in all our coaches and talk about academy and talk about culture and talk about coaching education and 
what we want to do and methodology. And, you know, we have uh, with Pedro Allegiance, you know, he has a school. And so we've done several meetings, um, boys and girls together. So I think now that I'm back into coaching and I jumped in to coach three teams, I see the demands. I see the, the, the view of the game, uh, the session planning, um, with all of my teams, I immediately saw them and said, they're technically behind. I said, so we went to four days of practice, Monday to Thursday, um, because it's like building a house. If you don't have a technical foundation and you're not comfortable on the, on the ball, how can you learn the game? Um, right. So socials, it's something that we talked about because it was like, with my teams always made it, mandatory for them to have at least six bonding mandatory events and so now even the girls that graduated they still have their what they call kicks thanksgiving they still have they come i don't even have, i think the last three four years i didn't even have to uh like suggest it they just did it on their own and it just continued so it's constantly spending time at the fields with the coaches, you know, having lunch with them, inviting them to go uh, bowling, to do that. And I think your culture kind of grows from there. And I always tell coaches, because coaches at other clubs, from what I hear, is that they're always with their hands around their players. Uh, these are my players, and I don't want this player to move to this other league because then my team's going to blow up with, with me and the coaches. I'm like, I'm going to reward you for pushing those players and not hurt you financially because you're doing the job of the club. And I feel that every coach looks at it as like, I want a platform. I want to coach ECNL. I want to coach RL because the consumer, the parents, I'm on a, on an ECNL team. I'm on the RL team. So those coaches are like, I want to do that, but not everybody's going to be the pasture, you know, right. you know, somebody's got to be. And as long as I kind of value them, I think I value our Academy coaches the most because I see that's the foundation. So I spend a lot of time with Academy coaches. I'm now running what's called sell a sal, the process. So sell a cow, sell a sal, uh, Brazilian for the selection. So we get our 13s and 14s um, from our, our academy and we put them together. They train twice a week with their team. So they train Tuesday and Thursday and then Monday, Wednesday, they come train with me. So from 530 to seven, I've been having them now for about two months and they go back to their teams. So I'm able to tell those coaches this is where they're at. We'll, we'll do testing, measuring on their technical ability to develop them. Eventually, I would I would be taking the U13 ECNL team that first year. So we're just starting that process early. I feel like like Spain coming off this World Cup. The 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 focus that they put. I remember um, a, a Spain boys club came to Dallas Cup maybe about eight, nine years ago, and we're sitting at the hotel because uh, one of our coaches, uh, Michael Bones, used to drive van for, for, for Dallas Cup teams. 
And so we would eat dinner with them, lunch, and they talked about how much the female gain investment the, the country was doing. And I remember now seeing the U-17s, the U-20 and women and the way they play, I feel that that investment, so that's what we're, we're trying to do now with our academy, invest in development to build a different type of player. This market, I feel on the girls' side, there's not another club that has had the success of our academy from results, from the style of play, the technical ability those kids have. I said, but, you know, the ones that can't develop or don't want to develop, they're just going to recruit. So that's that winning at all costs. Come over here. Uh, we'll do this for you. We'll do that. The club doesn't care about you. Club, club only cares for minorities. All these things that they talk about and, you know, it's just fear mongling. I mean, I hear so much that because my daughter was on the U15, U17 um, Mexico national team and we've had players go to Colombia national team. We have played on U.S. They get caught up. They look at the size of the, of, of the country. It's much harder getting invited there but because people want to scare tactics and say they don't you're never going to get a fair shot it, it 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 i think parents ruin their players development because they're constantly doing same things just to recruit because they want to win everything there's parents that if they're not number one that's it they, they move to another team try to bring in there's so many agent parents that's what i call them i always <laughs> I always tell us, like, I don't know why parents just don't worry about what they think is best for their kid. If that coach is not right for them, go search what's right for you. But they always try to get three or four, let's replace this coach. At U7, U8, U9, parents not want ECNL coaches, coaches that that have been uh, experienced. And, but at the end of the day, they just want to basically say, hey, I played for so-and-so. So I, what I call the, the Gucci purse. I'm carrying this. I'm able to tell she plays for so-and-so. And I think it's just, I don't know how you fix it. I don't think, I don't think we can, you know, I really don't think as a, as, as the entire, I think there's going to be that 5% that maybe you get 10% because of what you're doing. And I, I feel is winning and recruiting. I used to always tell uh, my old ones and my old fives, I never call anybody. Like, I'm not calling them. Um, I used to wear shirts that used to say, I develop, they recruit. And I was <laughs> like, recruiting is there. The, look at the way the kids are playing. And they're having so much fun. Right there. You, you hit it right there. It's how the kids are playing. Um, my daughter's team, they play soccer at five. I'm not saying they're great at it, but they're – the core kids that have been there the longest know if I'm playing the right side of the field, they played the diamond. And if the goalie, if the def I call it a goalie, the defender has the ball and they push up that right or left side, depending on which side that defender moves up the field, that player already knows they have to go back and cover that position. And it's ingrained in them at a young age. And I think that's like you said, it's like, it's what they're doing on the field. And I don't think parents understand the mechanics of the game, the technical side of the game of the, and how it's played. 
we're so used of American football, um, so, uh, baseball, where there's there is assigned positions and the philosophy that came through the, um, Johan Croft, the total football philosophy and the Dutch, there he goes, not Johan Croft, but the Dutch philosophy of total football. Parents don't understand that because every player in their head has to have a position. And this is where I always ask is, do you guys teach the position or do you guys teach roles? Because this really dictates on philosophy. And I always get called out like it's the same thing. I'm like, no, because if you teach a role and as they progress and go older, when they learning how to switch positions, just naturally doing it, the role now, the position doesn't matter. It's the role that they're playing in the moment. And it took me, I mean, I coached for a year and a half and I learned a lot because I just learned like it's not position. It's not a position game. It's a role game. And if you teach that at the young age, as it progresses, you'll see it. And this is where I think parents don't understand the game. It's my kid's a wide receiver in football. They go out there and run a, they run a, a slant or a post, whatever they call it. And that's their role. That's their job. And in soccer, it's not that it is a, your role is always changing unless you're the goalie. <laughs> and I think if we have the understanding of changing, changing that back to be that type of style, we can move farther ahead in, in, in the progression. I think it's not so much the kids that are needing the development, it's the parents. And because most parents here didn't grow up playing soccer, they grew up playing other sports. It's Or if they did, they didn't play at a high level and they don't understand the technical side of the game. Um, I'll give Coach Pedro the, the credit. He told me there's three sides of the game. There's the mental speed, the physical speed, and technical speed. And he goes, physical speed doesn't matter because you can always learn that you can always do that. But if you don't teach the technical and the mental speed, the player will never, never grow beyond mm -hmm. whatever that was taught to them. So you are right. I, but I feel like this is part of the premise of this podcast is to be educational. It's to teach the other side of it, because I think you, we've pretty much talked the whole time about development and very little about winning. Mm -hmm. And as you look at the development side, and I like how you said that you have it in tribes and each tribe is different parts, the different leagues you're playing in. And through the development process, do you guys have, I think Wilco with Dutch FC really has harped on this very well. It's that he likes the, the squad system. You have your, uh, when you have a two squad system, it's a development competitive and a develop uh, competitive team. And Players are interchangeable. It doesn't matter. You're a cog in the wheel for that. And he, he played, laid it out as you have three style of players. I'm not going to always mess it up, but you have your all-star, your star player, you have your playmaker, and you have your supporting players. And depending on what squad you're in, that role changes. You may be a supporting player in your B squad, uh, your competitive development team, but in the competitive team, now you are the all-star because you have all the tools to do everything, but your role changes based on where you need to be and what the coach needs out of you. And I think if that goes back to the education side, if parents understand the role of their player on the pitch and let you guys, the coaches, the experts figure it out for us and give us the feedback, I think they'll be better off. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Chat by the Pitch. 
Juan was a great a great guest, and we have more information coming next week. As you notice, this was erupted ended, and it was done on purpose because we have another hour of conversation to continue on for next week. If you guys take time and want to know more about them, feel free to go to the website or reach out to me. I'll try to help you. Juan is very gracious to come on. We've spent a lot of time talking since this episode, and I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did listening, editing, and actually when I was talking to him. Until next time, I'll see you at the pitch.